Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what can be done about the current spike in coronavirus cases. As parts of our country confront rising COVID-19 infections and are faced with renewed restrictions, I strongly echo the advice of our public health officials. We have to double down to help slow the spread of the pandemic. The federal government goes after single-use plastics as part of a plan to reach zero plastic waste by 2030. The proposed ban will address plastic checkout bags, straws, stir sticks, six-pack rings, cutlery, and foodware made from hard-to-recycle plastics, particularly expanded polystyrene. Regulations with respect to this ban will be finalized by the end of 2021. Aaron O'Toole says Conservative MPs will be free to vote as they please on two controversial bills. I think this is just the Liberals bringing in bills that they know will put a marker down. The Conservatives will vote against this legislation and they will be able to point that out in in subsequent elections. It's Thursday, October the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. Let's begin by doing an assessment of where we stand in the fight against the coronavirus in this country. Uh, there are, there are, of course, second waves happening in parts of the country, including Ontario and Quebec. There have been moves made by provincial governments to, to try to enforce stricter guidelines. We're heading into the Thanksgiving long weekend, of course, and the message has been uh, stay at home with your family. Don't spend time with people who don't live in the same house as you. Uh, so... What are your thoughts on where we stand, what the government is doing about it currently, and what it should be doing? Well, Dr. Theresa Tam said yesterday that the the seven-day rolling average was up 40% on the previous week. You know, we're now seeing more than 2,000 cases uh, most days, which is more than we saw in the, in the spring. I, mean, I think there was one day in May where there were more than 2,000 cases. So this is getting... Pretty serious, and if you look at the graph, it has exploded in the last two weeks, up 80% in terms of cases. Now, the good news is that the the death rate is, you know, averaging somewhere around 20 a day, whereas there were days in the spring where we were seeing 200, or 189, I think, was the peak. So it's a very different problem. I mean, I, I don't think it's the same issue we were facing before where, you know, there was a, the long-term care home issue before where, where it really was tens of people dying in, in individual care homes. Now it seems to be more a case of this. The um, people have got complacent. They're out and about. They're not following the guidelines. And it is, you know, the idea that we, we that Thanksgiving's coming up and the, the cold weather's coming up. Clearly, the government is getting panicked that what we might start to see are rising cases of hospitalization. And in fact, we are seeing that, I think, uh, not quite to, to uh, levels that, that are going to cause real issues in most hospitals. But, uh, but clearly, we've got, we've got to take more draconian action to, to, um, to, to rein this thing in. And I just say one other thing. If you look at the numbers, it really is not so much a, a Canada problem. You know, there are, there are rising cases everywhere, obviously, but the number of cases in Quebec, we put Quebec in the top 10 of worst offenders in Europe. It really has been a, a, an outlier as far as Canada. Uh, Alberta and, and, and uh, Ontario are uh, well, trailing far behind, but I mean, and Quebec really stands out. 93 cases per 100,000 
is about just about as bad as anywhere in the world. So, uh, so the Quebec government has has uh, issued red alerts for for for, uh, for Montreal. Um, I'm in the uh, on the Outaouais on the on the Quebec side, and I think there'll be a red alert coming here before too long. You know, this is really going to impinge on people's freedoms, but I don't think there's any choice for the government. Yeah, and as you point out, it is a different story depending on where you are in the country. It's different in Atlantic Canada, uh, different in Western provinces. So uh, we'll see how thing, how different things are. It's interesting. In an election year, of course, they always talk about Thanksgiving as the time when, when Canadians get together and talk about politics. Uh, this time, it'll be about getting together only with people in your household and uh, and maybe talking about the next phase of how we fight this virus. So... Uh, we'll see what happens. Let's talk about uh, the federal government's ban on single-use plastics, which uh, is is not a surprise, uh, I don't think, to anyone that the government is, has been moving in this direction. It's been talked about before. Uh, but the timing is being criticized by some people as being uh, uh, dangerous for people in the restaurant industry and also potentially uh, a blow to Alberta at a difficult time for that province. Well, the government has been pretty clear that it was going to do this. In fact, it campaigned on it last year. The initial burst of what is a much bigger plan is the, the banning of six single-use items: straws, you know, plastic cutlery, six-pack rings for for beer, plastic bags. Um, you know, I, the minister Jonathan Wilkinson was saying, "Well, many restaurant chains have already moved away from these things anyway." You know, Starbucks and uh, A&W, for example, don't offer plastic straws or plastic uh, knives and forks. I don't think many people in the general population are going to be that upset about these, uh, you know, banning these six items. I mean, we see plastic litter about the place, and we all we all use the the uh, the, the blue box. None of these items are particularly recyclable, so I don't think there will be a great lament at, at this part of the plan. But the plan is much bigger. The plan is to, to eventually move to uh, somewhere around 50% recyclable content in most plastic items. And, um, you know, the, the, Jonathan Wilkinson looked at the European target of 90% collection rate of plastic bottles as the kind of level of ambition that Canada should have. Uh, he thinks this is going to, the government has put out a statement saying it's going to reduce greenhouse gases by 1.8 million tonnes and create 42,000 jobs in addition to resistant physical waste. I don't think there's much in there that people could argue with, not even in Alberta, where you know, while the petrochemical industry is largely based there, uh, it's also uh, said that it wants to become a centre of excellence for recycling. So, you know, for once, the government of Alberta and the government of Canada are, seem, to, seem to be aligned as far as that part of the plan. The thing to me about it is that this government often comes out with these grandiose, sweeping, ambitious statements and then completely fails to deliver on them. I mean, just yesterday, the, the Parliamentary Budget Officer came out and, and took a look at the superclusters on innovation, where by this stage, three years down the line, there was going to be $100 million spent. Uh, in fact, it's a fraction of that, and most of that money has been spent on administration. Only $12 billion spelt, spent between 45 projects. You know, the reality has not got even close to the rhetoric, and I worry about the same thing here. 
what the government of Syria is going to do is put a, a target on recycled plastics um, that it thinks will then create a market. So if you say that um, that uh, you impose a, a recycled content requirement on plastics, then companies then have to adjust for that, right. and you have it will encourage investment in infrastructure. Now there are only thirty nine facilities in this country that can recycle plastics, and they're not evenly distributed across the country, which obviously makes it problematic in rural areas. So at the moment we have a, a, a major problem: collection rates are low. Only a fraction of the plastics are recycled because there just aren't enough facilities. And there's a weak end market for the recycled plastics. The government's belief is that by, with the stroke of a pen, it can solve all of those problems. And I don't think it can. I think that we're going to be sitting here hmm. a number of years from now. You know, at the moment, only 9% of plastic is recycled. The government wants to get that number up to 50 by, or more, by uh, by the end of the decade. Yeah. It seems to me that it's going to be really hard to do. Things just generally do not go as smoothly as this government says they will. All right, let's wrap up by talking about Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, and his decision to allow his members of his party, his caucus, to uh, vote freely, vote with their conscience on a couple of proposed uh, pieces of legislation uh, related to conversion therapy and assisted dying. Um, what do you think about that? Well, the Liberals have been a little bit mischievous here by introducing these these two pieces of legislation that potentially have the, the power, if not to split the Conservative Party, then at least to display to the public that the Social Democrats, the Social uh, Conservatives are in charge of the party. Um, O'Toole is trying to diffuse that by saying these could be free votes. You know, he obviously always... Well, pretty much was his election to having pandered to the social conservative supporters of other leadership candidates like Derek Sloan and uh, Leslin Lewis. So he can't, I think, bring down the whip on these two votes. Uh, he says he's not going to do so, although he personally uh, agrees with the ban on co- uh, coercive conversion therapy. And the other bill is the um, to expand access to uh, medical aid in dying. A tool opposes that, but again, he's going to give his, his MPs a free vote on it. I think this is just the Liberals bringing in bills that they know will put a marker down. So the Conservatives will vote against this legislation, and they will be able to point that out in uh, in subsequent elections. Right. It, it It's a tricky one for um, for a tool to navigate, but thus far with, with um, you know, in, on the con- coercive conversion therapy and... Uh, and on abortion, he seems to be on able to be on the right side of it, if there is a right side, electorally at least, hmm. in that the majority of the population agrees with the ban, the majority of the population agrees with, uh, with abortion. He can fall down on that side of the debate while allowing his, his MPs to vote with their conscience. So I don't think it's going to be a, a major flashpoint, but it does give the Liberals something they can uh, they can call back on. All right, John, great to have your insights on all of this today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues the federal government's super clusters strategy looks headed for failure. Yakabuski writes... 
What the parliamentary budget officer found in a report on this strategy borders on the scandalous. $30 million of the $918 million in direct federal cash had been spent as of last March, and $18 million of that had gone toward administrative expenses. The PBO found no evidence to support Ottawa's claim that the supercluster's strategy would generate 50,000 jobs and boost GDP by $50 billion over 10 years. And this is the same government that now wants us to believe it can engineer a green economic recovery and turn Canada into an electric battery powerhouse. In the Montreal Gazette, Julius H. Gray calls for a dispassionate view of the October crisis. Gray writes, The passage of 50 years allows us to look at what happened as history, not as current events, and to shed any admiration that some of us have for one or the other side. We can take comfort in the fact that the goals of strengthening French and furthering social justice by lawful means were largely attained. We can also be glad that the adoption of the Quebec and Canadian Charters of Rights would make a recurrence of the crackdown far less likely to succeed today. At National News Watch, K.W. Grafton argues while the thought of military leaders banding together to oppose an elected government may be uncomfortable, unusual problems demand unusual solutions. Grafton writes, A group of 489 retired national security officials calling themselves national security leaders for Biden have decided to take action in the U.S. addressing failings of the incumbent president and specific challenges which must be met by the next. America may be in a precarious situation with an unfit president. However, more than democracy hangs in the balance. The next election will be a referendum on reality. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The People's Party of Canada will announce its two candidates in federal by-elections in Toronto. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. At 10 a.m. in Toronto, the People's Party of Canada will officially announce its two candidates in the by-elections in York Centre and Toronto Centre. Now, both of those were Liberal ridings vacated by the retirements of incumbents, Toronto Centre notably being opened up by the resignation of former Finance Minister Bill Morneau. Former Conservative and the head of the People's Party, Maxime Bernier, will be at the announcement, and he has previously said that he intends to run in the riding of York Centre. Now, the by-elections are already well underway, and the People's Party of Canada only attracted 1.6% of the vote in the last federal election and didn't elect a single MP. Maxime Bernier, who was the hands-on favourite when he was a Conservative in his riding in Quebec, lost his own seat. So nobody's exactly expecting that he or his party will have any chance in either of these ridings. But as political theatre, it will be difficult to ignore, especially since the People's Party of Canada has been active over the past six months as the only Canadian mainstream political party which has opposed mandatory mask wearing and been sceptical of many of Canada's public health regulations. Some members have even been openly rejecting much of the science concerning COVID-19. So today's announcement in Toronto will be one which will leave few people indifferent. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Mayor of Mississauga, Bonnie Crombie. At 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, he will make an announcement with Minister of Public Services and Procurement, Anita Anand, Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, Navdeep Baines, and the National President of Unifor, Jerry Dias. They will be joined virtually from Oakville, Ontario, by the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, and several Ontario cabinet ministers. At 7 Eastern time, the Prime Minister will participate in a virtual discussion with Food Bank staff and volunteers, hosted by Food Banks Canada. 
Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibot will announce investments in projects to help farmers take action on climate change. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will make a funding announcement in support of Canada's forests. And Governor-General Julie Payette will host two virtual conversations from Rideau Hall. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, October the 8th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.